the award-winning Your Financial Editor program on 930 WFMD, news from the worlds of business and finance with your financial editor, Chris Murray. Welcome to another edition of the Your Financial Editor program right here on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com and as a podcast. I am Chris Murray, your host. Hope your weekend's going well. Thanks so much for taking some time to join in the program today. It's a good one. Really interesting top stories to touch on, some hot economic data that came out this past week. And um, also, I'm going to be talking with my guest, Miss Emma Walters. Uh, she's a research associate in the Davos uh, Center for Religion, Life, and Family at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, she's also been at the Institute for Family Studies, as well as a fellow with the American Enterprise Institute. So she's going to be joining me to talk about uh, different legislation that's been uh, pushed through recently. Um, in particular, this um, what they refer to as uh, uh, Respect for Marriage Act, which really is Disrespect for Marriage Act. Um, but we're going to be talking about that, what it does to the American family, um, and mo- most importantly, what it does to children, because we know they're our future, um, and they're really the ones that are going to carry this country forward for better or worse. So we're going to be talking about that uh, with Miss Waters in just a little bit. Well, you know, I missed a couple weeks because um, I had the pleasure of being at a wedding down in um, St. Augustine and, and uh, did some other um, fun things with, uh, with family. So I've been talking to Bob and Ryan in the morning, obviously, about um, this scoundrel, Sam Bankman, freed. Um, and, you know, it's amazing that this guy is uh, is walking around. He participated in a New York Times, I think it was a book summit, but that's the New York Times for you, uh, a week or so ago. And he's tweeting, you know, different things, and he's being um, hard on the new replacement, uh, took his job, the CEO there, trying to cast doubt on him. Uh, fortunately, you know, what we learned, what, which, by the way, what he said was, um, you know, he stepped down, um, Sam Bankman-Fried stepped down as CEO after the company's bankruptcy, and they put the new chief executive and veteran insolvency expert, the guy's name is John Ray III, um, in his place. Well, uh, Freed's coming out on Twitter saying that um, it, it really piggybacking comments he made during that New York Times book deal or deal book, whatever it was, summit. And he publicly was questioning why FTX customer funds had not been returned to the U.S. exchange users. So this guy, I tell you, man, he's a, he's a one of a kind. He said in the in his tweet that uh, when he filed for bankruptcy, I'm fairly sure FTX was insolvent highlight the word fairly, and that all U.S. customers could be made whole. And then he went on to say, to my knowledge, underline that word, um, it still is today. So, you know, he was saying that the new CEO and his team are examining um, the company's accounts in search of cash and cryptocurrency and other assets that can be liquidated to repay creditors and investors 
So Freed's company owes billions and billions of dollars to uh, many creditors alone. And um, these are big companies like Amazon Web Services, Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville, uh, you name it. So these loan agreements will make it difficult for average users of FTX to recover their lost funds because they'll be in front of those folks. So you look at this FTX, just this crater, it, the company cratered. Uh, it, it takes me back to Enron, right? It takes me back to Nortel, to Citigroup when they had some problems. Um, and, of course, this guy was all about pay to play. I mentioned when this first happened, uh, two days afterwards, you know, I let everybody know, look, this guy gave just shy of $40 million to Democratic candidates just this year. $40 million. So who el- who knows what else was going on behind the scenes in this cryptocurrency space um, and then, of course, the big question is, will these Democratic candidates and elected officials that received just shy of $40 million this year alone, will they return the funds? That's a big question. I mean, you would think they would because obviously they're dirty and there's so many unanswered questions. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see. Apparently, this guy is going to testify uh, before uh, the House next week, we'll watch and see. You're start, you see this already. You saw it with Comey over uh, the Russia collusion, baloney. You just saw it this past week and, or the previous week. Fauci, um, what do they say? I don't know. I don't recall. Not to my recollection. Get ready for that because that's all you're going to get from these guys under oath. Now, when they're on Twitter, you know, they're a keyboard warrior, or when they're on CNN or MSNBC or whoever it is, they can literally lie, which is what they do, lie to the camera and to everybody watching, but they know when they're under oath that they're susceptible to perjury. So they change their entire story. Now, I tell you, who might be in the spotlight as well is Jack Dorsey, the former uh, founder and CEO of Twitter, because I believe it was 2018 when he was talking about um, banning, shadow banning, suppressing information before the election. He came right out and said, no, we didn't do that under oath. So hopefully they drag him back in uh, by his collar and put him front and center once again, because, you know, he's acting like he's, Elon Elon Musk, like he's his buddy, saying release everything. You know, he wants to be a good guy all of a sudden. He was at the helm during all of this nonsense for the most part, except for the last year, whatever it was, year or two, when they put in the new CEO, which was even worse than Jack Dorsey. So you've got Musk making big moves, deleting one and a half billion accounts, releasing files, showing that there was suppression when it came to Fauci and the CDC, when it came to Hunter Biden's laptop, when it came to crime stories with various politicians. So we're going to watch that very closely as we have been. What we also know is a record high number of Americans told Gallup, the polling firm, 
that they're experiencing hardship from inflation. And I think we can all relate to that, can't we? I mean, I guess you're in denial if you don't. Um, or you're ultra, ultra, ultra wealthy. Um, but otherwise, according to this poll by Gallup, it didn't matter, you know, um, what was going on with people saying there was no inflation or it's a made up word or one party made the whole issue up, which, of course, is baloney. But that's what they tell you. Um, but the share of Americans who said inflation has caused them severe financial hardship. And that's understood as serious enough that it has affected their ability to maintain their current standard of living rose in November, the highest reading to date. 77% of lower income Americans reported in November that prices had caused them financial hardship. That's up from where it was recently. Even the share of upper-income Americans, they were expressing the same view. Um, that number rose as well. So uh, this is self-imposed, too much spending by the federal and state governments, especially in the name of the virus. And then, of course, the Federal Reserve being negligent. I don't know where they were. If you have a 2% target for inflation— Let's just say it gets to five, not even the nine like it did. Gets to five. You run down to the local elementary school. You grab a third grader. Say, hey, this is our target number two, or 2%, I should say. And then here's where we are. We're 5%. You think something's wrong? You think we should do something? You think we should take action? Try to cool things down a little bit? I'm sure the third grader would say, yes, I get that. Two versus five. That's not good. We should do something. But did the Fed? No. They stuck with their transitory and all the other malarkey, you know, buzzwords, talk down to people like they're stupid because that's what they want people to be, you know, um, people that don't follow things and aren't honest about what's going on. You know, I always say, I even told my mom the other day, you know, you're a mushroom. If you're not careful, you're a mushroom. Picked her up from the airport. We were having this conversation. And um, I told her I took the, you know, the example I used. And she said, why? And I said, because how are mushrooms grown? They're covered in manure and left in the dark. Right? So that's what so many Americans out there are being treated like. And if we're not careful, we buy into that as opposed to seeking truth. And knowing what's really going on and who it's going to impact. And not only who, but in what way is it going to impact them. Which is why we're going to be talking about children again this morning. Because they're our future. They're the most important thing. Um, and that's what we want to focus on. You know, just another example for inflation. Airline passengers, get ready. It looks like uh, more expensive flight tickets are coming. According to the Director General of the International Air Transport Association, which includes most of the world's major airlines. He told reporters at an annual media briefing that the airlines are already stretched thin on profit margins, right? Now you have them being forced into the whole false narrative of climate change. And, um, you know, what are they going to do with uh, their carbon footprint and all the other nonsense. Well, you know, it's pretty simple. They're going to raise prices. 
So grandmothers and grandfathers, aunts and uncles, cousins, friends, school buddies, whoever it is, if you can't or choose not to drive and it's uh, better for you to fly, it's going to get more expensive, more than what it is now, which, of course, prices are up, as we know, because of our energy policy being so far out of whack that our energy costs have skyrocketed. That's all self-inflicted. People can make uh, whatever argument they want, but it's self-inflicted. So when you have um, an administration saying, you know, they always have to have a boogeyman. So when fuel prices go up, it's the greedy energy companies, right? And then, of course, they come out like they did a couple weeks ago or a few weeks ago when we spoke about it on the program and said these companies need to drill more. They need to harvest more traditional energy. Well, guess what? You're being sued by a couple associations because it'll be a year, it looks like, since you held lease sales. According to an act of 1920, that's supposed to happen every quarter. So that's what you're lying about there, the Department of Interior. And then, of course, the second part is even if you get the lease, you have to get the permit. Well, who's going to get in your way there? It's these uh, fake greenies, um, you know, who are causing problems for law-abiding, hardworking, um, you know, these people that are being hurt. They're not some goofy activist. They're not some paid protester. You know, they're being hurt because of the energy um, policies, if you want to call them that, by this administration. Part of that, too, we heard this week, ministers from OPEC Plus agreed, I think it was on Sunday, yeah, on Sunday they're meeting, to stick with their policy of scaled back oil production. How's that? That's a nice poke in the eye to Biden, right? That fist bump went really well. They're meeting with uh, China this week. How do you think that's going to go? And they got the full deal. It wasn't a fist bump. It was, you know, the full production when Xi Jinping and his uh, his crew rolled into town in Saudi. So even though Biden pleaded, begged almost to the Saudi prince to raise um, production, and that's because the Saudis – they're the lead player in the OPEC oil cartel. Um, but that's what's happening. And as I mentioned, they're, they're picking these, whoever it is, it's a boogeyman. It's Putin. It's Russia, Ukraine. It's greedy energy companies. Uh, we want you to create more energy. But really, after they say that, we know, as I mentioned, you can't get a – we're not going to hold a lease sale and uh, even if we do, we're not going to allow the permitting. Um, so we all have to know what's truth and hopefully how this is going to be fixed with uh, some of these new people that were um, elected to office um, and that are going to be sworn in in January. A couple things I think everybody probably, if they're following, even just the general stuff would agree upon. We've got to stop spending. So um, no budget passed before the end of the year, before the new Congress takes place, right? We'll just put a Band-Aid on the spending, get us through the rest of this month, and then go from there. We've got to stop the spending. 
And then the other thing, of course, is the border. So anybody that's remotely following what's going on at the border, which, by the way, um, the the Border Patrol agent who lost his life this week when he was chasing down illegal immigrants on his uh, four-wheeler and died, God rest his soul, pray for his family, right? And then we also know that uh, border agent suicides are up because they've been demoralized because we're not— a country with the rule of law right now when it comes to the uh, the southern border. Um, and uh, you have all these illegal immigrants coming over. Uh, according to one piece of data I saw there, once they come in, because um, they're able to be tracked by the cell phones that they get, they're in 40 states, almost every congressional district in the United States of America. So people don't think that this is just a bold, in-your-face plan, and that's only because we discovered them shuttling people, flying them in in the middle of the night and dumping them in cities, and they got caught, you know. Oh, wow, here's a plane landing from Texas at 2.30 a.m. in Pennsylvania. wonder what that's all about. Well, luckily, it's on tape. People can see it and understand. And we're going to talk about that. That's part of this, too, with my guest, uh, Miss Waters. In just a little bit, again, what's that going to do to the school system? What's it going to do to the uh, medical system? What's it going to do to the social service system? So we're going to get into that. Um, Something that was really good that I saw this week I wanted to share with you. Several conservative members of the House Judiciary Committee are warning that corporate environmental, social, and governance, ESG, Efforts may run afoul of federal antitrust laws. So the ranking member, Jim Jordan of Ohio and others, expressed their concern in a letter to two members of the steering committee for, wait for it, Climate Action 100 Plus, a group that works to get corporations to take action against climate change, right? So the letter said, woke, I hate that word, but I have to use it. It's in their quote, woke corporations are collectively adopting and imposing progressive policy goals that American consumers do not want or do not need. That was according to the letter. So the letter likened Climate Action 100 plus to a cartel, quote, cartel, unquote, that gets businesses to change policies and practices to meet their goals. Shakedown. That's all it is. This is just a shakedown. I mean, obviously, the whole climate thing is a power and money grab thing, but it's also for these companies. It's a shakedown. It's extortion. If you don't play by our rules, you're a climate denier. Um, You don't care about the planet, blah, 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 which is all baloney because we know based on fact and history, capitalism and low energy cost lift people from poverty. So go on with the whole we care about the world, kumbaya, and the idiots that are throwing things on priceless paintings in museums and all the other, like I said, the, you know, the poor hygiene activists, paid protesters, just move along. Nobody hears you. At least nobody that understands what's really going on. We don't hear you. You might as well be yelling at each other 
right? And hopefully somebody with a backbone will enforce the law for defacing a beautiful painting or a beautiful statue or whatever it may be. I don't know. I mean, that's gone by the wayside, too. Um, just weakness, you know, a bunch of followers. Uh, but that has to change as well. And, you know, something else that happened uh, this week that I wanted to share with you, and I mentioned a little bit ago, uh, Just my, it was just my two cents, obviously. Um, stop spending, this new Congress, stop spending, secure the border, and then we'll go from there about all the other unconstitutional overreaches that impacted so many people. Didn't impact me or my family because we knew right from wrong and we're not going to let some bloat, you know, tell us what to do and, and how to live our lives. But what happened is unprecedented spending. I mean, an explosion in U.S. government borrowing, right? Now, over the years, decades, that's been fueled not by, you know, us as much as a strong appetite from China and Japan wanting to own our government securities when they come to market. What people are realizing, you know, the government in 2008, it's a financial crisis, right? We were $9 trillion in debt. That does not include Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, all right? This is just what we see, the, the headline number. We were $9 trillion in debt. Now we're $31 trillion in debt, plus Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and, and others. So these countries are slowing down their purchases, because they're starting to look, and that means that um, institutions and government purchases here in the United States has to increase. Because countries are looking at us like, what are you doing? You have an open border. You're going to exhaust your resources. You've already got $31 trillion in debt. Interest rates are going up. Guess what goes up with that? Our debt payment on the $31 trillion of debt. <laughs> the interest payment. And they're starting to wonder, which, you know, hasn't been a question for eons. Are things really backed and secure by the United States government? And it's not such a simple answer anymore. And if something doesn't change, if things aren't improved and brought back in line, I've Unfortunately, I think it's, you know, it's going to get worse. I don't think. I know. So they're going to have to change some things. We'll see if they do or not. Right now, I'm going to squeeze a quick commercial break in. And then when we come back, some economic data, um, including that hot producer price index report from yesterday. So stay tuned.
Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcasts and you can check it out there, um, whether it's um, this one when it's posted or any of the ones uh, that we've had in the past. You can grab it and re-listen to it. Um, so not a ton of economic data this week, but some that was, you know, very important. One disheartening piece the business activity in the U.S. Uh, service sector uh, continued to expand, um, but that came on the he- the heels of the ISM uh, manufacturing report, which went into contraction. Uh, so it looks like the manufacturing sector is having a very rough time, whereas the service sector, of course, we are a service-based economy continues to grow, stays above that 50 mark at 56.5. But there's a lot of other data that's, you know, surrounding that that sector. Um, and we have to take that data into consideration. One being, and by the way, this isn't just me speaking, it's the chair of the Institute for Supply uh, Management behind the report saying that the Christmas season has contributed to stronger business activity and increased employment. So um, that was uh, the positive part. Like I said, the other piece is there's a lot of uh, economic data showing that without the Christmas season, the lead up to Christmas, you know, things probably would not have looked as good. Also, we learned last week that the number of Americans filing for unemployment benefits ticked higher So they came in at 230,000, and the previous week were revised higher to 226,000. So 230, 226. That's above the pre virus number, the way things were before the virus made its way here from China, right? Also, on top of that, continuing claims filed by people went up as well last week and they revised that number from the previous week as well. So it was worse than what we thought. To end things, uh, yesterday what we saw from the producer price index was the Labor Department came out and said basically inflation was hotter last month than estimates showed. So it's one of those things where, um, you know, you had an expectation of going up month over month. By 0.2%, it went up 0.3% from October to November. And then also the annualized basis year over year was supposed to be 7.2% on the wholesale level with the PPI. It was 7.4%. So that was worse than expected as well. Um, So, you know, everybody's still trying to figure out what the Federal Reserve is going to do with interest rates. The next meeting is next week, the last meeting of the year, um, two-day meeting. And uh, we'll have to wait and see. Is it going to be three-quarters of a percent, 75 basis points, or is it going to be half of a percent, 50 basis points? People were starting to factor in the 50 because things seemed to be looking better and that inflation was cooling a little bit. Now that doesn't seem to be the case, obviously, with that report. So we're going to watch it. We're going to see what the Fed does. We're going to talk about it and keep it into perspective. The big problem the Fed has, again, is credibility because they just don't have any. Um, 
and for a Federal Reserve to allow inflation, the consumer price index to get over 9% when your target is 2, tell me. And I don't, kindergartner, tell me, how does that happen? Who does that? Right? But that's exactly what we saw. Um, so we'll see what they do and what they say next week at the meeting. When we come back from this quick break, Emma Waters from the Heritage Foundation, we're talking about some legislation, how it's going to affect kids, families, and, of course, that means how it's going to affect America, our economy, and our financial markets going forward. For me, for me another drink, because I don't want to feel a thing no more, hell no. Wanna sip till the pain wears off. Pour me, pour me another. It's your financial editor with Chris Murray on 930 WFMD. back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And of course, as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcasts. You can grab it there, whether it's this program or a previous program. Um, help yourself. And thanks to everybody for the well wishes. You know, I just um, really celebrated my 25-year anniversary here on the program. Found it uh, in uh, November of 1997. And here we are today. So as the saying goes, time flies when you're having fun. But to all the the listeners out there and and everybody that participates, you know, all the wonderful guests we have, uh, what a fun time it's been. And I just am thankful because you guys get all the credit uh, for the longevity of the program to go 25 years uninterrupted. So thank you for that. And that continues today because uh, welcoming in my guest, another friend from the Heritage Foundation uh, that uh, we speak with often because we know we can get reliable, um, accurate, and trustworthy information on uh, current events. Joining me this morning, Miss Emma Waters. Uh, she's a research associate in the Davos uh, Center for Life, Religion, and Family at the Heritage Foundation. Prior to that, uh, she was with American Moment, uh, the Institute for Supplant, uh, Family Studies, and um, also she was at American Enterprise Institute. Uh, and she earned a degree in political science from Lee University. Good morning, Miss Waters. How are you? Good morning, Chris. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on today. Well, thanks for taking time. I know you guys are really busy. You're always working very hard. So um, I, as always, appreciate the work that you do and um, just everything that you put into it. And so this is a, a show that originally um, and continues to be based on the financial markets, the economy. Um, but we all know in this area that um, there are so many different things that impact those two areas. Um, one of them you wrote about uh, this week, um, and people can go to heritage.org and grab Miss Waters' uh, material, but it's about this, um, this law that was passed 
titled Respect for Marriage Act, which I think, as with most things like the Inflation Reduction Act, is totally mistitled. But we have to go with what we have. But that passed. And one of the things we focus on um, that I'm very passionate about is our children. So our children are the future of this country. And um, whenever something comes into play that might not be good for them in particular and the family as a whole, it catches my attention. That's why I enjoyed reading your piece. So if you will, just kind of give us an overview of what that law is. Yes, absolutely. So you're right that it is um, totally misnamed, and I prefer to call it the Disrespect for Marriage Act um, for that very reason, um, because what it does is not only does it overturn the Defense of Marriage Act, which establishes in our public law that marriage is between one man and one woman, and that remained until this week, even with the Obergefell decision at the Supreme Court, um, but it also places a giant target on the backs of religious institutions, schools, nonprofits and people of faith, and effectively says um, that while nothing in this bill requires discrimination litigation against those who want to hold the traditional view of marriage, um, it doesn't actually provide any affirmative protections at the same time. Um, So this is going to be a massive problem for anyone who wants to live in accordance with those beliefs um, regarding marriage. Um, But you're absolutely right in pointing out the impact that this has upon children. And that's ultimately, I think, one of the biggest concerns that I have with this legislation, um, because we can debate all day about the rights of adults um, in the decisions that they make, right, uh, regarding their romantic relationships. But ultimately, when it comes to the impact it has upon children, the desires of adults do not get to dictate the needs of children. And so what this bill does is it actually reverses um, long-held beliefs in social science um, from a biblical, Christian, religious worldview, and so on, that says that children require the protection and play of a father and the love and nurture of a mother in order to flourish um, and to live lives that are fulfilling but also successful regarding their educational and behavioral outcome. And what this bill does is says that children don't have a right to a mother and a father. And, in fact, any um, ordering of parents from two moms to two dads or only one parent at all is equally good. Um, But we know that that's not the case um, by any means. No, and I agree. And, again, I don't mind sharing. I came up single mom. She raised myself and um, and, and my two two older brothers. And I had – and she's extremely loving to this day – But again, when you're coming up in those situations you talked about, whether it's a single parent, uh, two males, two females, there's just a void there. It's it's just human that, you know, you feel that void and question things and wonder and doubt, and it can make it really hard. So why people want to encourage this, I think, is the big question, because if we're making it harder for our future generations— That's just not, that seems like backwards thinking. Yes, you're absolutely right. And I think um, going back to the point I said earlier, I think a lot of it, it's one thing to say that you care about children, but it's another that when, uh, it's another thing to say that to care about children requires you to personally sacrifice something that you want and desire. 
And I think that's where the tension really comes down is that ultimately um, adults and our nation's leaders haven't been willing to do that. And this largely comes, I would argue, um, from the first redefinition of marriage in no-fault divorce, right? All of a sudden, marriage was not a lifelong commitment between a man and a woman um, for the stability of their children, um, for the procreation of children to begin with, right? Even beyond any personal feelings that they might experience. Um, but in overturning uh, or creating no-fault divorce that eventually passed in all the states, we redefined marriage to basically come down to the preferences and desires of adults. Um, so naturally, Obergefell falls, uh, follows from that, right? Because if any two individuals um, see marriage as something that's just meant to bring them happiness, then what if happiness means um, being with someone of the same sex? it logically follows, right, that that would be the next case. And so in each of those, like, situations, children were the ones who were receiving the short end of the stick. Um, and they were taking last place and having to really suffer and bear the brunt of um, their parents' decisions or other adults' decisions regarding this. Um, but what's so concerning, especially with the number of Republicans who have voted for this, is that even as early or as late as 2016, the GOP platform affirmed that children have a right to a mother and a father, and they made that a huge part um, of the policies and messaging that they promoted. But with the Respect for Marriage Act and with the amount of adult, uh, Republicans who have voted for it, um, we're seeing a pretty radical shift in even how the right thinks about the relationship between parents and children. Yeah, and thank you for pointing that out as far as the votes. 39 in the House, I think, 12 in the Senate voted for this. I mean, do you think that's really um, – do you think people are going to remember this? I, I'm not sure because it's not getting a whole lot of attention. You're explaining it very well, very accurately, very honestly. But, you know, if you're not listening to the program, uh, there are so many people out there that just don't even know about this. Yes. Um, you know, that is always the question, right? And ultimately, um, people have a pretty short-term memory, even when it comes to things of this importance. So for the Heritage Foundation, for example, um, we are continuing to say and repeat the names of all of the representatives and senators who voted for this because we don't want people to forget and we want the um, elected leaders themselves to know that we're not going to forget the decision they made especially in selling out not only children but so many religious institutions and people of faith um, and i think a lot of voters at the same time have been utterly shocked um, by the decisions that some of their elected leaders made especially those who um, were evangelicals, conservatives, Christians, um, who had represented their constituents well in this department for so many years. I think a lot of people are just confused um, at this outcome um, and are trying to figure out exactly what took place um, that led their members to make such a surprising um, decision. So I know a lot of the people that we've talked to through Heritage are feeling pretty empowered on the state level. And we've heard from a lot of state grassroots organizations who want to keep working on this issue, keep pressuring their members, um, and finding ways that we can either pass um, the Mike Lee Amendment in the future Congress that would protect those religious institutions or look at other ways of mitigating this. So at the same time, I think there's actually a lot of hope for um, continued focus on this bill. 
um, and finding ways, like I said, to either mitigate it um, and certainly not to forget the decisions um, and votes of many of the elected leaders behind it. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe this will turn into something similar to what we saw with uh, education, uh, Ground Zero being over in Loudoun County, of course. And we've had folks that have come on and spoken about that and the difference that they made uh, at that grassroot level and um, just all of their hard work and, and their faith in, in what they were doing and trying to accomplish. Hope, hopefully that will spill over. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue my conversation with my guest this morning, Miss Emma Waters uh, from the Heritage Foundation. And um, again, go to heritage.org. And you can get Miss Waters' uh, work and anybody else's, and it's free. That's a great thing. You can you can become the just superstar of the cocktail party tonight if you want. Brief yourself on some of these issues and have at it. And um, and it, it's always fun to to have that information. And when we do come back, I want to ask Miss Waters in particular about um, the charitable aspect of this. A lot of people feel. Uh, committed and are committed to donating to nonprofits that have to do with adoption, things of that nature. And we'll see if this uh, new law has anything to do with that. Hello? Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcasts. You can grab it there. And we're wrapping up our conversation this morning with my guest, kind enough to join me, Miss Emma Waters. She's a research associate in the Davos uh, Center for Life, Religion, and Family at the Heritage Foundation. Go to heritage.org to get a bunch of good uh, complimentary information from them and from all the work they do. She also was at the Institute for Family Studies and a fellow with American Enterprise Institute. She earned a degree in political science from Lee University. And uh, Emma, as we finish up, um, just uh, I mentioned right before the break, if you could give our listeners an idea of the impact potentially that this is this new law is going to have on uh, charitable organizations, especially those that have to do with adoption and foster care. Yes, absolutely. So like I said earlier, while nothing in the bill itself requires discrimination litigation, so meaning an adoption agency or school or another nonprofit that wants to hold that traditional marriages between one man and one woman and then run their business and organization in accordance with that, um, it doesn't require litigation to automatically be filed against these organizations and persons. But what it does do is it opens the door for other agencies or individuals through the private right of action to initiate those lawsuits. Um, so, for example, uh, think about the IRS 
and their 87,000 new employees. Um, what this bill does is it opens the door for the IRS to say, oh, look, this um, adoption agency, this nonprofit, this school, right, is not in compliance with this new definition of marriage that says that marriage can be between any two individuals. And instead, they're actually limiting marriage between one man and one woman. So this means that um, churches, nonprofits, and schools could be subject to either lose their tax-exempt status um, or to not be approved for it. And then the second part of this has to do with government grants, accreditation, and licenses. And so this means that if there's an adoption agency, like you mentioned, or a foster care organization that only wants to place um, with married heterosexual parents, and like we talked about earlier, knowing that that's where children are going to thrive and do best, um, that adoption agency could actually be subject to lose their license. And this license is essential for them to be able to exist as an organization, as a service in the United States. So this not only um, creates difficulties in their ability to function, it could threaten their very um, ability to exist altogether. Um, and this includes, um, like I said, either current uh, adoption agencies or agencies that are coming up, right, and seeking the license. Or if you think about accreditation, right, like a K-12 school or higher education university, if they lose their accreditation, they lose their ability to be a competitive option for students to choose, which once again would then threaten their ability to even remain in existence because they wouldn't have the accreditation, the financial support that they need to make that happen. Um, so so this is not just a hypothetical concern. This is actually a very serious, um, grave concern um, that means that should some of these organizations have lawsuits filed against them um, and should it go to court, depending on how the district or Supreme Court rules, um, you could be looking at the end of these organizations and their ability uh, to even function in the United States as they have been. Uh, yeah, and thank you for laying that out. Um, I really appreciate it. Uh, we're up against a hard break, but real quick, can you give our listeners an idea, perhaps, of a way to get involved to combat this at the grassroots level or these other evil bills and legislations that are pushed forward? Absolutely. So first things first, um, look for your um, state level Family Policy Institute. Every state has one. They are working tirelessly on this issue, as well as getting in touch with any local churches, um, adoption agencies, or schools that you know take a very strong stand on this, and even just pledging your support should these difficulties arise. And then the last thing I would say is stay involved with the work the Heritage Foundation is doing, um, the work that America's um, Defense Legal, or ADF, is doing in D.C., as well as a few of the other big conservative organizations like Family Research Council, because they're the ones who are tracking this on a national level, but also disseminating um, specific state-level information for people to really get involved there. Perfect. Thank you very much, and thank you for all your work that you've done at the Heritage and, and prior to that, and for taking time to be with us today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on today. Okay. Have a great rest of the weekend, and that uh, does it for us. We're up against uh, the, the clock here. Uh, go to heritage.org, and you can uh, get a bunch of good information. Shame on the 39 Republicans in the House, the 12 Republicans in the Senate. Shame on you. You know, we expect it from the, the Democratic side. 
But um, this is very, very dangerous to the foundation and traditions of America. And you're putting yourself, you're selfish, you're putting yourself before the children that come after us and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So I would encourage you to, as uh, Miss Waters said, stay involved, get involved if you're not, and learn and read up on things so that, um, you know, you, you really understand what's going on and can process it and uh, and talk about it. So, but thank you so much for being with us uh, this weekend. I appreciate it as always. And I will talk with you on the Morning News Express with Bob Miller and Ryan Hedrick live 556-5750 Monday through Friday. And then we're back here next week for another edition of the Your Financial Editor program. This is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success. <laughs> editions of this program are available in the audio vault at wfmd.com a service of Holtzapple heating and air conditioning news radio 930 wfmd frederick a connoisseur media radio station seven o'clock